Today's a lot of fun. I'm in Mexico City for F1. I'll tell you about my Mexico City adventure for a couple days. What I learned, most important things from the NFL this week. And of course, Willie Colon, story time with him. Uh, unbelievable stuff. So I don't even need to really get into it. And we got life advice with Kyle on the back end. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Live from Mexico City. What's up, everyone? Let's recap week eight, five most important things that I saw. Okay, number one, last night, the Bills are good. You know what's nice about the NFL every now and then? It's nice when we see a team that is really good, like the Bills, beat a team we don't think is any good anymore, like the Packers, and the way the world works actually makes sense because there's so many NFL outcomes that you're like, what happened? The guy just complimented the Raiders. I was like, you know who's sneaky kind of good on offense? The Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, They were third in points per game. Seventh in yards per play, and they get shut out by the Saints. So I'm like, oh, okay, good timing on that compliment. Because I felt like, in a way, because the Raiders got off to the bad start, there's the Josh McDaniels hangover of like this guy got another job after flaming out in Denver. There was just a lot of anti Raiders stuff, yet was still going under the radar. And every time I would look up the different statistical stuff, I'd think, wait, the Raiders are actually really good in a lot of different departments here. And then they get shut out. So the point is to see the the natural order play out every now and then, especially in a primetime game where we've been denied that at times to see the Bills and even still a a 27-17 score, you could talk yourself into, I don't know, a month or so from now. Not us. Not us that are locked in, right? They're listening to the podcast. But somebody down the road would be like, yeah, you know, they played them close. Like, no, they didn't. They didn't. So it's nice to see that. Um, Because there, there still are other outcomes where you have the kind of, what does this mean scenario? whether it's Washington finding a way against the Colts. I'll add this in here. Sam Ellinger, the quarterback out of Texas, and I'll I'll offer up this as well. College football hardos, which I would include myself in that group, we watch way more NFL than NFL hardos watch college football. Not debatable, right? I don't even think that's necessarily a win. I'm just telling you, people that love college football watch both. People that love the NFL rarely watch college football, okay? 
So that puts me in a position at times where if it's a young player, a guy who I've watched a lot, certainly Sam is one of those, quarterback at Texas, an incredible story, an absolute gamer, a guy that carried that offense at times, especially in short yard situations where it felt like he was their only option. If he's a long-term star in the NFL, I'm going to be fucking shocked, right? He feels a little like, like Tebow without the GNC membership, but then he's in a game and they're going back and forth with Washington, who Heineke is the epitome of a long-term backup himself, where Heineke, like, you're like, man, this guy, I mean, the throw to McLaurin, McLaurin grabs away. That guy's a stud. You know, he doesn't get enough shine just because of the situation and the team that he's with as well. And yet Heineke, I feel like if he ever were brought in to be your starter, you'd be sitting there as a coaching staff going, okay, what can we do to make this better? Like, we could probably do a little bit better than this, even though he's still going to win you some games because he's got the arm. He doesn't give a shit. He's out there. He probably has the right mentality of, like, I'm not going to start overthinking this. I'm just going to be out here and hold on to this job as long as I can. At least he plays. I mean, Chase Daniels, the lifer backup and never has to play. Taysom Hill, basically, they spent a ton of money on him, and it pissed off Drew Brees, and they took him off the field, and now he's behind Dalton and Winston and listed as a tight end. Uh, he has eight pass attempts this year. So back, bringing it full circle, it's just nice to see a Bills team that's number two in scoring offense, number one in scoring D. Uh, they're allowing 14 points per game, which going back is the lowest average allowed since Pittsburgh averaged. Uh, they allowed 13.9 points per game in 2008. So it's nice to see things kind of just play out the way they're supposed to and their depth. Bill's depth everywhere. Every Bill's game I watch, I'm like, oh, shit, they got that guy too. And oh, wait, these two guys are still out, and it doesn't even seem to matter with these defensive numbers. <laughs> so let's bring that into the Packers because point number two is, are we looking at a class of the karma QBs? We've been over the Rodgers contract. My biggest issue with Rodgers was always, you are not convincing me that you deserve uh, the victim label that you were, you were pining for, right? You got to convince me. You need to do a better job of telling me how bad of a time you've had it in Green Bay. And you're not. And then you get a massive contract and then you come back. And there's something to be said of maybe Devontae Adams, if he were more settled in Green Bay and knew what Rodgers was doing, would he still be there? Would they be able to afford him? Could they figure that out? Or do you just want to go back to Vegas and play with Carr? That's a really good part of it, too. So let's move on from that. But what about karma? Even though it's tough for my, people in my business, we don't necessarily believe in it all the time. What about the Russell Wilson karma part of this? I mean, it's going so bad for him. The guy wasn't even throwing a Hail Mary at the half. They were just trying to run out the clock, and everybody called it a Hail Mary on social media. Uh, he is taking shots all over the place now. They won. They finally beat Jacksonville. A Jacksonville team, we thought early on, hey, are they actually good? Trevor Lawrence this is kind of exciting. Don't see a lot of that anymore. And I'm not off of it necessarily. I'm just saying it was kind of fun there for a little while, Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. Okay, with... With Russell Wilson now, we had Lockett after the win, after the Seahawks beat the Giants at home. Lockett's quote essentially is, it's, it's nice when no one cares about who's getting the credit shot at Russell Wilson. Uh, Richard Sherman had Marshawn Lynch on his podcast, and they were talking about how much Russell Wilson was struggling. This was weeks ago. And Sherman was like, man, I'd like to get in touch with him. And then Marshawn was like, yeah, I would too, but. I don't want to have to reach out to your manager, both expressing that they couldn't get in touch with him directly despite being teammates for almost a decade. And they started laughing at the idea that we actually have to reach out to someone else. His old online getting pissed at him back when he was in Seattle after he went on the media rampage about how bad he has it when half, if not more of his sacks are because he scrambles around so much. 
then they talked about his office. His he has his own office in the stadium in Denver. Shannon Sharp blasted him for that one. And then they had the Ravens on a team flight, and a guy was taking a video of Justin Tucker, the kicker, and he started talking about Russell Wilson's high knees thing. The kicker made fun of Russell Wilson. So it got me to thinking about karma. Again, I'm not sure that I believe in it 100%. But, and if I were worse at my job, I would throw Brady in this mix as like, oh, he's struggling because I've made two good examples and I'll make a third one that's bad, but three is more than two. So I'll just do that. And I, I'm not putting Brady in this group. You know, it's not his fault. He married somebody that can't stand that he only has seven to eight months off. But the fact this is going so bad for Rodgers and Wilson on the field at the same time after constantly complaining about their plights with teams that won, it can't help but pop into my mind and make me think about it. <laughs> number three, let's take a look at the playoff seeds. Tennessee's actually number two in the AFC now. Uh, Kansas City is a three seed. Does any of this matter? I just like going over at this point of the season, so we're going to do it. Uh, the difference with that, the tie break, is that Tennessee's 4-1 and one against the AFC. Kansas City's 2-2. Two and two. Baltimore is the toughest strength of schedule of any of the seven AFC teams uh, slated in the playoffs right now. Um, the Chargers are the seventh seed. They're four and three. That's versus a 394 strength of schedule. It is so far and away the easiest so far that it is concerning. Yes, there have been injuries. They should still have a better record. The NFC, how about this? Um, Philly, one seed, another win. We're going to get to an amazing stat here on Jalen Hurts. Minnesota's your two seed. They're six and one. No one cares. That's how anti-Kirk Cousins everyone is. And by the way, I am too. But uh, they have all these weird stats. They're 17th and third down percentage. They're 18th in yards per play. But they're eighth in points per game because they score touchdowns when they get into the red zone. They're the fifth best offense in the NFL. Their defensive numbers are pedestrian at best. Some of them are terrible. Uh they're 28th in opponent's yards per play. So there's all these things with Minnesota. You're like, well, if this evens out, who is this team? There's some signs that tell you they're not going to be a 6-1 and one team. Again, that would also be math because you're not allowed to only play seven. Bad joke. But they're number three in turnover differential, which may be another part of this. And then your three and four seeds are Seattle and Atlanta, just like everybody expected. <laughs> number four, speaking of Hurts, here's the best stat I read. I always like Mike Sando's recap on Monday mornings on The Athletic. Pick six column. Jalen Hurts had four touchdowns yesterday. 19 yards, 27 yards, 29 yards, 39 yards. Past the line of scrimmage, okay? He's the fifth player since 2007 with four TDs that far downfield in the same game. So that's past the line of scrimmage, those throws. Three of those were to A.J. Brown. I actually think this is more interesting. Hurts has yet to attempt to pass while trailing at halftime. Number five, final thought here. It's something I've been thinking about doing. It's a segment I want to do. I was thinking about doing it this week, but I'm just not ready yet. But I'm going to get a jump on this because it can be a little dangerous too. Knowing that if I did it right now, it'd be some would be right and some would be incredibly wrong. Ranking the quarterback replacement teams. Because next week's the halfway mark of the season. If you look at mock drafts, would Detroit get off a of golf already for a stud? Probably. They could get off his contract after this year as they w- want. Goff's okay. You know, he's been okay. He's 28 years old. Houston, Davis Mills is, is the guy in your friend group who you think nothing of but is a good hang. And you go, you know who's fun? 
You know what was fun last weekend? Golf, it was Davis Mills. That feels like his entire career because he was he was not the highest league touted, you know, draft prospect. He was that, but you watch me like, ah, he's all right. Um, he's more, he's much worse this year. He's much worse this year. So I'm not sure that he's the guy. Carolina, I think they'd be bringing in somebody else. Probably not somebody else's flamed out top 10 pick. They've already tried that twice. I don't know if Pittsburgh would do it again. I mean, that's one of those weird things where you could miss on somebody because you feel like you owe it to the guy you just drafted, but I don't know. If you ended up with a top three pick, do you owe it to Kenny Pickett? Tampa has the eighth pick if you look at the records as of today. Probably think they'd want to address it at some point. The what if that I thought was kind of interesting is that the Bears have the 12th pick based on what I saw today uh, with all the different tiebreakers, which is actually a much lower pick than I thought it would be. Um yeah, I'm going to do this, but I'm not doing it today. I don't want to do it today and start ranking the teams most likely to replace their current quarterback. But we're getting close. We're getting close to that season. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little... Something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Willie Cologne, uh, my guy. It's been too long. What's I up? Know. I hate I hate it when I uh, I don't see or hear from you enough. I feel like I always know you're doing great, but I wish you I wish you only you had your own, I don't know, besides the podcast, but I hope I wish there was like a visual dialing. I could just see what you're up to. We just spent okay. 20 minutes of you talking to you was at the F1. And I'm like, I just wanted to see you in action, just see you in your mode. Yeah, no, I could text more. I could text more. You're right. Um, but <laughs> look, let's talk some ball. Uh, after that Bills performance last night, that's where I want to start. Yeah. It, you know, if somebody wants to tell me they like the Chiefs better, okay, fine. But statistically, the defense isn't what Buffalo is. So when you look at the Bills, like how much of a gap do you think there is between them and and I don't know if it's everybody else or Philadelphia or where you have it, but like, how do you feel about the Bills versus everybody else? I think they're just a juggernaut right now. And I think they 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 know who they are. I think you talk about this defense led by Von Miller and Ed Oliver, man. I talk I thought one thing about one thing I you know, it's it's tough for me because being a former Steeler and playing on some, you know, alongside some historical defense, I try to see what I try to compare the two, right? And a lot of things of what I see what Buffalo does well is they're selfless. They don't. It doesn't matter the mission. They're just going to execute and they're going to get it done. And obviously, the mission was to get after Aaron Rodgers' ass and make him make him extremely uncomfortable. And and you saw that last night with a multitude of fronts. Um, Von Miller looks like he's he, he's aging backwards. You're talking about Ed Oliver. I think he's starting to emerge. Uh, Val, you had the big injury with him pulled the air last night, but Michael Hyde being out. But you just saw different aspects of that defense just rise up in different times during that game. And they just look fearless, man. And they're playing fast, they're playing strong, and they're playing bully football. And I, the whole world got to watch it. I mean, it, there's no secret that the Buffalo Bills are just, they're, they're that it team. They're that team that, that it's spooky season when they come into town. 
Yeah, I'd said in the open, like every now and then when you just realize how special some rosters can be and how you put it all together with the cap restrictions, you know, because there's some teams you're like, where's your talent? And then you look at Buffalo and the rotation on that front. Like I've always liked Epinesa going all the way back to college. And then I'm like, oh, you know, like, hey, there's another guy. Um, There'll be guys that you don't even hear their name called one week. And then the next week they're making plays. And then they have a receiver come in late and catches a huge ball down the left side that wasn't really part of the game plan. So it's a scary amount of depth for a team that feels like, you know, if you want to nitpick, sure. But there's just not a lot of flaws there. Well, that's also, you know, Ryan, this is what I, I had this, I have this conversation randomly, but it's, it's. Good teams know who they are and they know what the mold looks like, right? Like, so when you draft a guy or when you're drafting a guy for your organization, a lot of Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seahawks, the Patriots, I feel like these are the teams that do it best is there's, there's a, there's a checklist of what they want their players to look like. And I think the Buffalo Bills are at that moment. They gotta be, they gotta be tough. They gotta have range. They gotta be scrappy and they gotta be about that life. And that's just all characteristics. And then you go down to the 40 speed and all that other stuff. So there's a mold in which, um, you know, they know what they're looking for. Like the Patriots, you say what you want about the Patriots, and I'm not a diehard Patriot guy, but nevertheless, is all their guys are smart. They don't beat themselves. They know what to do when they're on the field. They're well prepared. They're well coached, and they seem like they're always ready for the fight. Um, and so different organizations know how to go after guys that meet their mold and meet their characteristics. And Buffalo Bills have that. And so you talk about the depth. Depth is important for this time of year. When you get to week eight. Through 13, everybody's banged up. Everybody's hurt. Your depth is what carries you. And so when you see good teams move on and continue to progress, because they got quality depth. Yeah, Settles out there too. I was like, my God. You know, like, I, I mean, he wasn't even on my radar, you know, earlier in the season with them. And then I was just like, you know, this is every time I look at their depth chart, I'm just like, man, this is, this is something every fan base should be jealous of. Okay. So having said all that, I feel like I'm still partial to Mahomes because the peak of it and the picks for Allen like I don't know I guess I didn't really care because I felt like the game was over even though eventually the game log will look like he had a couple turnovers which fine I mean technically he did Uh, but the run to the pylon in the first half where you're like all right Mahomes can't do that I guess I'm still like I said I'm partial to Mahomes because I feel like there's a ceiling that I've seen there that is just another level but I don't know if somebody told me they liked Allen better I'm not sure I would argue with them well, I think Allen just gives you that 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 I think he just gives you that all American hero feel, right? He gives you that Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh early early, you know, late eighties action hero feel where like it doesn't matter if the building's blowing up, he's gonna defuse the bomb and save the lady at the end of the day. He gives he gives you that type of feel. And so I'm I, I'm with you. I don't have anything against Mahomes. I just feel like sometimes he can go rogue and he can cost the team. I think Allen's always going to be true to who he is. And if he he's willing to put the whole team on his shoulder by running the ball, by going head first into the pylon, by not being fearless, going, you know, going head to head against a safety that's coming downhill. He has that. Mahomes seems like he's going to go into his bag to try to win you a game. And that can go that can go bad for you at any given moment. So but when it's good, it's great. But Josh Allen just seems like the all-American hero. He he's, he gives me a la young Big Ben vibes, and also his moxie about him. He, you tell him that he just the kid who you know when he when he was coming out of high school had no no offers. You know he was scrawny, and then he lands in Wyoming, and then he becomes this you know he comes this this renegade, and he lands on the Buffalo Bills. And when he gets there, nobody gives him a shot. People are already writing him off. And then year three, he's biting at the cage. He's a dog. 
So when you see him now, I'm really happy for the kid because you tell he plays with that. Like, I got this. Just put it on my shoulder. And then for Christ's sake, Ste- Ste- Stephon Diggs is, is, is unguardable. And Gabe Davis is just balancing out that offense. And that offensive line is just they bunch the bullies up front. Is there a third best team in the AFC then? For me, it's the Titans, right? And I know, and I know you say, well, Tannehill's out, and then and then you say, well, okay, then what else they got with? I was like, well, you got to win the game in the trenches. I love Jeffrey Simmons. I think he's absolutely he's a bulldog. I, I like what they got in the offensive line, um, and I think they're going to do enough with Malik Willis where they're not going to hand him the key, but they're going to give him a governor's cap, right? They're going to they're like you just drive it, but I'm going to give you everything. We're just going to give you enough. And Derrick Henry, listen, what he did yesterday is monstrous. So for me, it's, I like Tennessee. I think they're grittier, they're tougher. It's easy to say Baltimore, um, but Baltimore defense is, is scares me. You know, I, they just don't do enough for me at times when I think it's important. Um, I think Lamar Jackson's worth it, obviously. Uh, Mark Andrews, when healthy, he's that guy. He's probably one of my favorite Titans in the league. But I think Baltimore is just too up and down for me. I think Tennessee – Right now, it's probably, and then you, listen, they're in a division where they can't rank king, and he stinks. Jacksonville, Jacksonville, um, and the Houston Texans, you know, nobody's thinking about them. So, but I do think right now that Tennessee is probably my number three team. I think they, that they're a team you got to be, you got to play all four quarters of football to beat them. Off the Packers lost last night, and this speaks to anything bigger, and we, we can kind of touch on a bunch of different teams here, but, you know, look, they're down receivers, down like three guys mm-hmm. by the end of the game. Um, I like Dalbs, though. I do. Uh, he had that great catch to, to the right back pylon. Yeah. It's weird because we have expectations for the Packers, right? We have the same thing with the Rams, same thing with the Bucs. You know, we've covered this a little bit here on the pod, but it's almost like from the outside when you're a disappointing team we had expectations for and you, you end up being bad. It's almost like all of us think that you guys just quit. And I, there are examples, you know, there are teams that are like, hey, it just went south and we couldn't get it back going. But what is it like to be on a team where you're like, fuck that. Like, we're here to fight every single week. And like, we have to, like, I'm sure you've been on both kinds of teams where you're like, we want to figure this thing out and right the ship and we all have to stay in this together. It, it It's the part of the game that I don't think enough of us understand from the outside of how the personalities inside the locker room, the 50 plus guys, how if you have the right group, you can find a way to salvage a season versus everybody expecting us. You know, we always look at these teams like, ah, they're three and six. They stink. They're done. We're like, man, they still have to play a ton of games. And it's the NFL. Like the seasons can be very different within this season itself. So do you have examples or how hard that is or, or times it's actually worked? Bro, I mean, for Christ's sakes, my last second year with the Jets, we were we ended up four and twelve. It ended up being Rex Ryan's last year. The GM at the time is John Isaac coming out of Seattle. And I was telling a story a while. So I ran out, you know, I'm, I'm in New York, so I'm running to Jets fans crazy. And, you know, they've, they've watched enough of my career to understand I've been through the good days and the, and the, and the bad days. Um, but as, as far as the team that year, man, we had a lot of scrappy veterans. However, we also were the second youngest team in the league. We had a really good defensive line. We had Snacks Harrison, Sheldon Richardson, Quentin Copas, Muhammad Wilkerson. We had a really, really good young um, defensive line. and But the team, we just didn't have, as a team, we didn't have enough talent. We were just missing certain pieces. We didn't have, like, a number one receiver. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have that dominant kind of slot guy. We had a good slot guy in Jeremy Curley. But the organization right now was kind of going through a lot because Rex was getting berated in the media. Literally, while we were on the practice field, 
there was fire John Isaac signs going over the practice field. There was a plane dragging a sign that said fire John Isaac. Going over every, and it went across every day at 3.15. I remember before 9 on 7, we would look up and it would be a flat. It would be a plane. Some rich bastard who had the cake just was like, I hate the Jets so much and I hate John Isaac. He hired a plane to go every day over our practice field that said fire John Isaac. On Saturday meetings, Ryan, no bullshit. On Saturday meetings, when you're going down 80, there's two big billboards. It said, fire John Isaac. Uh, fire John Isaac. The Jets suck. This is for, this is us going into Saturday meetings. So you talk about like just a mental grind. I can remember saying to myself, like, man, I just left the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, a world-class championship organization. Now I'm home with the New York Jets. It was like I went from sugar to shit, and I just couldn't, ex- and I couldn't, and I couldn't figure it out. But I do remember, as much as the, the media was down on Geno and down on, um, down on the team, and were god awful. It was toxic. It was, it was just all these things going on. Um, I remember looking at Jason Babin, who was with the team at the time, and being around. Brick and bring around Nick Mangold, the main broad, uh, you know, Antonio Cromartie and all these guys were like, listen, we've all played enough football collectively to know that we're going to have to will some wins, right? We're going to have to do enough to just, we don't have enough talent, but what we have, we want to fight like dogs. And it got, it brought, brought us closer, especially the older guys, because we were a little long in the tooth and we, we already kind of, some guys already still, like myself, saw the light coming at the end of the tunnel. So, it, it, it forced us to just be more detailed, play better, and also show the younger guys, like that young D-line that I just mentioned, like, bro, you can't, every day in cleats is a blessing, and we want to show you how to grind it out and how to just be better on Sunday and prepare and fight. Like, and, and so those guys were able to cut, uh, were able to suck up some of that energy, um, but talent-wise, we just didn't have enough. But I thought we were scrappy, we're gritty. Um, but the overall reaction is that they were feuding, um, and it was just, it was just a meltdown from there. What is it like then? I mean, you know, the date, like, is Rex ever talking about it with you? Is the GM ever bringing it up? Like, I can't, I can't imagine they would want to waste their time addressing billboards. I mean, how could you not? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you look up in the sky that says fire your GM, uh, or, or fire Rex? You know, it was, it was a lot. And Rex addressed it as it's us against the world. And I tell you every Saturday meeting, Ryan, this dude, Bro, I wish I, I I don't have anything around me. But every Saturday, no matter where we were at in the season, when we when we were on a three game losing streak, whatever, this dude gave an an Oscar uh, Oscar performance on trying to get us up for a game. He would have you so jacked up and fired up, you would you would you would burn your own you would burn your own high school and plant a flag. Like he just had you fired up, and then we would go out there and just shit the bed on Sunday. But he he was consistent. Saturday, he was, he was, he was, he was consistently just great as this a motivational. He would cry, he would throw things, he'd be pounding the table, and we, I'd be back in the room shaking like I, I could shake everybody in here. He had a so, he had me so, he had a so bloodlust. Um, that was one of my biggest regrets that I didn't, I didn't, we didn't match his, we didn't match Rex energy on Saturday and and translate it to Sunday because he had you mentally there, spiritually had you there. And we were just, we just couldn't bring home the W's, man. But this dude, I love Rex so much. And I would even, sometimes during the week, man, it would be, we had a, we have a steam room 
Um, and, and I'm letting you really behind the curtain. <laughs> we, we have we have a steam room, man. And I, and I was an old dog, so I'll be last out getting treatment and, and cold up and all that stuff. And Rex would be in there in his goddamn towel. And, you know, balls just dripping, hanging down from underneath that towel. And it, at the time, I, I defensive, coach, defensive coordinator was Dennis Thurman, who's now in Jackson State with Dion. Um, and I would go in there because I was kind of the OG of the locker room. They would allow me in there with them. And we would talk old school football and his days when he was a young head. And we would just talk about the, the glory days with the Ravens. And this dude would have me fired up in the steam room. It's already hot. You know, it's already, we're already sweating balls. You know, we're just, and he would have, and he would just, and, but you could tell he genuinely loved his players. He genuinely loved everybody that he coached with. And he was a hundred percent ready for battle at all times. The biggest issue with Rex was, and particularly that year, he was too loyal. He was too loyal that it led him to his death. There, there should have been, there should have been people that should have been fired. There should have been things that should have happened more that kind of, you know, turn the trajectory of that team. Um, but when he when you're down, when he when he calls you family, he means that, man. He's the most loyal human being I've ever met in my life. So, yeah. Wow. I didn't expect a, a five or six minute advertisement for Rex Ryan, but it sounds like if he gets a gig again, now a fan base will be excited about it after that, that Willie Cologne endorsement. All right, let's stay on the Jets. Uh, this version of it. Yep. A- anything with this team? Is, is it, is like the record is good. I think the defense is good, yep. but what what yeah, I mean, you do post game for them. You still care about this team. You understand it as well as anybody. Who are they? They're they're in that kind of limbo where they're 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 struggling with the development of Zach Wilson and also how much it, the time is now, right? Because here they're sitting at five and three. I thought yesterday Zach had a bad day, right? I think he regressed a little bit, but I also think. It goes to that situation where they were only down nine points and you had a chance to beat the New England Patriots. Why wouldn't you throw in Mike White to start the fourth quarter? Somebody who traditionally he can give you a spark. You come back out of that game, you still can start Zach Wilson against Buffalo. Nobody was asking for that. So I think they're, they're, in, a, they're in a transition period. Like, all right, how long do we ride with Zach? Because we're not getting that that second-year wow out of him. You know, he... He had that big wild moment in Pittsburgh on the road when he went five for five in the fourth quarter. He had that big throw to uh, Corey Davis, and they were able to get out of Pittsburgh with a dub. But on top of that, you got your defense who's fighting, who, who's fighting their tail off, keeping you in that game. The offense has enough pieces, but it's, it comes down to Zach making the right decisions with the football. So right now, they're a team who's very talented. Credit Joe Douglas. He's 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 been able to add some quality depth. They've had some significant injuries with Elijah Vera Tucker, Brees Hall. Um, and then the secondary, I mean, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner, they're, they're, they're legit. And the defense line led by Quentin Williams is, is a monster. So they have enough pieces. The talent is there. The depth is there. I like Robert Sala, but they're in that, they're in, they're in that, that point of the, they're in the fork of the road. How much do we hang on with Zach Wilson and try to trust that he's going to mature and maturate in the right period? Or do we say, all right, you're not ready yet. Let's 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 start winning games. Let's not blow this momentum that we we've we've been able to accumulate. And I think it's that's where Sal is at right now, and it's tough for him because he doesn't want to give up on Zach Wilson. I don't think the team wants to give up on Zach Wilson, but they're hot, and you can't lose that fire. The Jets haven't been here in forever. You know what I mean? They had a, they were only thirteen against the Pats going into yesterday's game. So you know what I mean? So they can't they can't waste it. And they got Buffalo next week. They go on a bye. They turn around and got the Pats again. So they got to figure it out. Okay, you brought up, you know, 
pushing Zach out and bringing Mike White in. I honestly, I thought after the Pats were so bad against the Bears, I think you could argue that's the worst single loss of the season of the NFL. Sure. Not that I think the Pats, I don't look, I don't think the Pats are great, but statistically no. going to that game, they're a little bit better than people realized. Um, then you have the quarterback part of it. So I felt like them coming off of, you know, because the Bears, I don't think are that good. And then the Bears put it on you like that. Uh, that's, and you're at home. Yeah. Yep. And, it, and it's a prime time game. So it had, like, there's a lot of things I'd have to go through every single week again to be like, is there a worse loss where you're like, what the fuck happened there? Maybe Kansas right. City losing to the Colts just because of what you think of Kansas City. And certainly, I think more of them than New England. But having that happen and then the Jets coming in, this felt like a classic, like, New England isn't this bad. And maybe the Jets part of this feels a little fluky. But when you bench a quarterback, because it happened with New England, I, I agree with, like, I don't like the idea that, oh, if you bench your young quarterback and then you can't ever go back to him. And I think it's such no. bullshit. It's That's such false. bullshit. Like if yeah. a guy is that soft mentally, then he's never, it's never going to work out for him 100%. anyway then. So you're already wasting your time. Uh, but I think people would still be really surprised for you to say that. So what, what is that like? What is it like? Do the rest of you even care when it happens? I mean, I'm sure you talk about it, but do you well, care? Well, for me, it's it's hard to win one game in the NFL, right? And so you sure. look, you're looking at the New England Patriots at the time. They kicked they kicked five field goals, so it wasn't like it was like like they were just bombing up the field and they was no. running through. It wasn't like that at all. They kicked they they pretty much played. All right, we're gonna play tough defense, and we, when we get down there, we're gonna hit a field goal. Nick Folk won them the game. Our special the Jets special teams just got awful yesterday. Offensively. They just when they when they come out in the second half, Zach ha was starting like he started to get his wind a little bit, and then he just went awry yesterday. And then when you listen back to his presser, he pretty much said, "Yeah, I kind of got bored out there. We, I, it started to become the same thing." But that well, that's what Belichick does. You know, he takes he takes away the best thing you do, and he forces you to beat him somewhere else. And the best thing to just do is run the ball. So he loaded the box, but yet the checkdowns were there, the little dink and dunks were there, but Zach didn't have enough patience within the game to play the game. So he just went awry, and the, ga the game got away from him. So that's the maturation the Jets need, to understand it's not about you at the moment. It's not about how you're bored about having constant three and outs. It's about, all right, if the New England Patriots score three, let's get down and get – if we don't get six, let's get three out of it at least. Let's play behind our defense. So it's it's a situation where Mike White, I felt, if he would have started that fourth quarter, he would have been a spark. He would have known. He would known to go with the football. He's mobile enough. If you blitz him, he can get out of there. And we had enough pieces out there with uh, Garrett Wilson, Conklin. I mean, for Christ's sake, Elijah Moore. We we all our dogs was out there. So um, it it was just a matter of Zach being better with the football, and he wasn't. Let's stay then with a former Jets quarterback, Geno Smith, and the Seattle offense is lighting it up. And they didn't have to light it up against the Giants yesterday, but you know they moved the ball late to close that one out at home. The offensive numbers are incredible. Geno's been around a long time. You spent three years with him. Are you surprised uh, that he's this quarterback at this point of his career? No, man. I think and you can attest to this. I think people forget how nasty Geno was in West Virginia. I think that people forget that he holds records. The issue was, I've always said, when I got to the Jets and Mark Sanchez was still there, and Mark, I thought was 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 great. I thought he would, you know, they tried, the media tried to make it, it was a competition battle. It was never a competition battle. Mark was winning the battle, uh, but Gino wasn't playing bad. We go to we go to the Snoopy Bowl. The Snoopy Bowl is the Jets versus the Giants for some little copper ass looking Snoopy Bowl, right? Uh, Snoopy statue, whatever. Um, they like to make a big deal about it. Both teams really don't care about it, but whatever. Rex at the time cared about it. 
Um, Mark's on the side. Mark Sanchez is on the sideline with me, Ryan. That real talk. We're on the sideline. Right. This game is about Gino. How good is he going to look? They just want to kind of see a whole. They just want to get enough on film to kind of give a fair evaluation. Boom. I'm on the sideline. Starters are out. I got my, you know, I'm popping my sunflower seeds. Got my straps up, looking like a goddamn, you know, stud. Um, Mark sitting next to me, and we're literally talking about going to dinner and hitting the clubs uh, right after this game. Rex comes down, flying down the sideline. He goes, "Hey, man." Uh, I think I want to get you out there just for a series. Just kind of, you know, we're, we just want to get out there. So Mark's like, "Oh, okay. Uh, what's what's going on?" He's like, "Man, let's just let's just get you out there. Just just score one. And I, I sit you back down." So Mark's a rider. Boom. Mark, mind you, if Mark was starting, it would would have took him an hour or so to warm up that shoulder or just to get him get himself together. He's he's as cold as ice sitting next to me talking about guy, you know, anything underneath the sun. He goes, he gets warmed up, throws one, two, three passes, goes out of the field. I think the first play was incomplete. I forgot what the second play was, but the third one was a, a boot rollout. Drill, just drill, right? Shoulder blown, done. And I remember saying to myself, like, here goes the season. Like, that was, we just blew our season watching uh, for the Snoopy Bowl. Like, Mark, Mark was playing his ass off in camp. We all loved him, and it was like, what the hell just happened? And so Mark eventually goes on IR. This is this is Gino's rookie year. So this is 13? Uh, is this 2013? 13, yep. Okay. So um, Mark gets hurt, and then Gino obviously is the next guy up. And I can remember going So then our first game is against Tampa, and Darrell Revis is on Tampa now. Right. And so me, Nick and Brick, because we're veteran guys, we went into the mindset. All right. We got the young kid behind us. Get him comfortable as as, as, as quick as we can. Right. Like because for him, we did. It, it's not it's one thing to play in the NFL on your first game. But this dude, Gino, you know, he has signed with Rock Nation. He came out to the Jay-Z song. So it was like when you there's certain things. So when you come out that you letting the world know I'm that guy, I'm him. You're looking for me. Right. So when he came out to the Jay-Z, I forgot, I think it was 99. He got 99 problems or so rock boys is one of them. Whatever he came out to, the crowd went crazy. And then the Gino comes out to smoke. And I'm just like the back of my head is like, I don't know if I would have had the balls to come out to that song. You know what I mean? Like this. I don't know if I would have had the balls on my first NFL game. I'm a New York Jet to come out to that. But if you feel like you hit, then be him. Right, that's a, just be that guy. If you feel like you're that guy, be that guy. I don't know if I would have. I would have came out to something generic, like you know Bruce Springsteen. Even though I'm black, I probably know one Bruce. I would have came out to something super generic. And so fast, so fast forward, man. Gino plays well, but I know as a mindset once again for the offensive line, we want to get him comfortable. We want to get his feet calm. We want to make the right throws, and we end up winning that game. Close uh, game, right? It was a close game. It was a rough and it was it was a hit out of bounds that kind of sprawled uh, hit out of bounds on Gino that got us like a 15 yard and we kicked the field goal. We beat Tampa at the end of that game. But to say all that, man, I knew with everything that happened this year and a, a lot of the woes, even to his second year, Gino just wasn't ready. He just wasn't ready for that stage because he was he was he wanted it. He's a fighter, but he's also used to being a winner. Right. And so when you play in New York, you got to deal with this, the constant scrutiny of the media. You're dealing with a team that 
you know, we just didn't have enough pieces to, to surround him to kind of make him that guy. And on top of that, you know, you got to you also got to You got to deliver. And I think he just needed some time to watch the game, be around the game or have somebody older in front of him to kind of show him the ropes. Um, and that and that's and that's how it went down. So. Yeah, because Gino, I never know what's fair or what isn't. I've seen arguments that, you know, it sucks that it took this long for someone to realize that he's this guy and he's 32 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, he came out of West Virginia. You're right. He lit it up. But it was weird because there was always, you know, there's always the part of the draft process that people get really upset about when we start digging into the personalities. But I'm like, we can pretend they're kids, but these are technically young adults that are going to have super important jobs here where millions of people care about the outcome. So if you hear that Baker Mayfield is tough to get along with, or you hear this about, you know, like the Geno stuff. I remember people were like, oh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, he's 39th overall coming out. So then did it linger into the NFL part of it? He loses the job with the Jets. The Giants situation probably wasn't the greatest for him. He started right. one game, but it was the whole Eli part of it. Um, you know, we had Eckler on from the Chargers, and I asked him, I'm like, are you surprised by this? And, I mean, he is lighting it up. And it sounds like from a talent standpoint, you're not surprised whatsoever. It's just, I don't know what's fair. If it's if it's a career that was railroaded and was unfair to him, or if it's like, hey, he actually just kind of got a shot here at 32, and he lost his jobs to the other spots because he wasn't good enough, which, yeah, you know. For, for me, I don't think it was fair to him. And then, for Christ's sakes, you know, I hate bringing this up, but, you know, he gets... He was cracked in the mouth, you know, his last year with the Jets by IK and Pollock. You know what I mean? So Okay, so it, let me let me jump in there. Were were you gone by then? No, I was still there. You I was, were still there. There. I was okay. there in the locker room when it happened. Okay. Gino gets shit on because of that. Like it's almost like it's a negative thing that's hung with him. Like if like a quarterback is untouchable. If somebody punches a quarterback, that means nobody really likes him. You were there, like you just said. Why is it unfair? Like, what what have we all gotten wrong about the Geno part with that punch? Um, what do we? What what? Well, just tell us the story. I shouldn't even ask a question. Just tell us the like story. Telling, I, I really, I, I hate telling the story because the guy is doing extremely well, and I, and I want to bury it for him because in the New York media, they love bringing it up when he comes a lot. Okay. But, um. So and I think that it's like some things like you. I just want die. I want that to die for him. But if there was a story, if there was if there was something to to be said about it is that you got to be careful who you talk to. Not everybody, nobody, not everybody is, I guess my point is just because you're a quarterback doesn't make you bulletproof within the core of the locker room. You're bulletproof on the practice field. You're bulletproof in any other facet of the facility. But when everybody's taking showers and in their underwear and their underwear, moving around as grown men as all alpha males, you're just another man, and Gino got it fucked up. And so, when you get another grown man's face, and you 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 use words, and you have a demeanor as him, like, "Well, do something about it." You're gonna get the reaction he got. Okay, and I think if I'm reading that right, you're also saying here because, like, you like Gino. You, I do. It's totally. it's very clear that you like Gino, and that you can do something. You can it, it can play out wrong. <laughs> you can make a mistake, but it doesn't mean that yeah. you're necessarily a bad guy. And I think that's what that story turned into. And then it turned into, okay, why is this, why is he not getting another chance? I look, I'll admit at 32, I'm really surprised that he's leading one of the best offenses in the NFL. I always right. felt like when I'd watch him, the more comfortable he got, sometimes it became more dangerous. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you would agree or not with that. Like some of the games are like, oh, here we go, here we go. I'm like, now he's really feeling himself. And I'd be like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which is, you know, usually you want that, but sometimes you don't. Uh, but look, he's he should be feeling himself right now, and I'm, I guess I'm just constantly fascinated with what the mystery is here because this doesn't really happen. It doesn't happen, and, the, you know, this is a Seattle team that people were talking about tanking, right? They were talking about... Yeah. D, 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 talking D, about Metcalf. Drew Locke. They talked about Drew Locke, you know? So there was, there was so many question marks about this team and then, like, you don't even pay them attention, and they're like, oh, they're first in the division, led by Geno Smith. And you're like, all right, let me tune in now. You know what I mean? So it, it, I don't think anybody's reaction to the Seattle Seahawks is is different or should be, you know, or should be shocking. I think it's just a matter of where do they end up? You know, how high, you know, high is this a Jeremy Lin type high on the hog situation? Or is this a situation where, like, no, nah, Geno, Geno has arrived. The Seahawks are okay. We got to do this more often, Willie. You're, You're the best, bro. You're hey, with you. promote uh, the radio show. Give me the time. And then obviously the uh, post-game stuff with the Jets. Yeah, you can check me out on Morning Men on Sirius XM Radio Channel 82. Uh, me, Evan Cohen, Mike Babchek from 6 to 9 a.m. Friday, once again, Channel 82, Mad Dog Sports. I'll be there. Uh, also, if you're regional, you can follow me on uh, Jets pre and post on SNY TV. Willie Clone 66. Uh, it's my social media handle. I'll be there talking everything business, baby. Sports. Is, is your OnlyFans still up? Where, how's that going? Do you have the tag nah, for that? They, they blocked me once I started shaving my taint. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of nether region references today in the, in the pod. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Love you, brother. Be safe. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. I'm not doing college football this week because there's two games that I taped that I want to go back and watch before I do the top 12 because my top 12 is so important. Uh, It isn't that important. I don't know. I just had a hard time with it as we'll get through it. So we're going to do a little bonus reaction, a little travel log from Mexico City, four days here, including the F1 Grand Prix. So as I tape this, I'm still in Mexico City. I'll be back in LA in a few hours. Let's do some quick facts on Mexico City. 7,349 feet above sea level. Wasn't an issue. Largest city in North America, 9 million people. In greater Mexico City, we're talking 21.8 million people. And walking around for a couple days, those numbers check out. It's called an alpha city. Not sure what that means, but I like it. It was originally a group of islands uh, on a lake called Texacoco, 
not sure on the pronunciation. The Aztecs established the area, 1325. Again, some of these numbers, you never know, depending on which book you've read, which article you're reading. Uh, then the Spanish rebuilt it in the 1500s. A uh, lot of revolutionary stuff going on here, as we will uh, talk a little bit later on after one of the castle visits here. So basically, this is built all up on a lake. So when you come here, you're like, where's the water? And you're like, eh, you're on top of it. And it's why, according to um, a couple different studies that I got kind of lost in a little wormhole of is why when the earthquakes happen here, it's even more dangerous because it's built on all this this lake sediment. So they just started filling it in, filling it in. Actually, Boston has something very similar. Although when you think Boston, you probably don't think Mexico City all that much. Um, so it just kind of is, and it keeps going, and it keeps going forever. It is massive here. Uh, there are people everywhere. And like I said, those population numbers check out. If I were short and it bothered me, I wouldn't rule out moving here. I'll tell you a couple times walking around. I mean, I'm not the biggest guy, but I was like, what's going on? I was like, I've, I feel fucking enormous. Uh, the biggest person in the city, though, that's Checo, Sergio Perez, Red Bull driver. I've never seen an athlete dominate one city with, with signage the way. Uh, maybe it's recency bias. Maybe Jordan in Chicago had it like this. I don't know. I started trying to count them all, every endorsement that Checo had. I lost track. I gave up. I didn't care anymore. It was so funny. And I was bringing it up with some of the other people. And they were like, he is fucking everywhere. Everywhere. On everything. On like calling card signs. <laughs> and whatever kind of drink there is. I don't even know what half the stuff he's endorsing is. But that guy's has got a nice little smile going on. He, his off, off the track revenue must be absurd. I am on the Avenue of Reform. I believe I'm right here in town. I'm right next to the U.S. Embassy. Uh, the television situation I knew was going to be a bit of a challenge. That's why I usually don't travel out of the country because of all the sports that I have to watch. So it was a little tough to figure out. On Thursday night football, Baltimore-Tampa, I taped Friday morning. I was able to watch that game, but none of my apps worked. Amazon Prime wasn't going to let, me, let it happen. All the different stuff that I'd hoped to be able to watch basketball on. None of it worked. I was scrambling constantly. I hung out outside of a Shake Shack to watch part of an NBA game. And I was like, you know what? You're probably going to be okay. The pod will survive if you don't sit here and um, hang out. And have yes, I did have a burger. I'm sorry. Okay, so the other thing that I was trying to figure out with the TV is there was a channel. None of the channels were labeled right. And there was just a movie channel that was called Morbius. And it went on forever. All four days. If I turn it on right now, it's going to say that Morbius is playing. And I didn't see the movie Morbius once, which is fine. I don't feel like I necessarily missed out. I just thought that was a really good tidbit. Okay, so Thursday night, watched the game, taped Friday morning, hit the gym here. Dumbbells maxed out at 14 kilograms. Not great. And I did a little research and decided to head to this other, I don't know if I call it a village, uh, called Koyoakon. It was incredible. It's only like five miles away. It took us about an hour 10. The traffic here makes LA look like Vermont. And Mexico City just kind of goes forever. The only thing I can compare it to in a place that I've ever been is I think the first time I went to Houston, which was a really long time ago, the first time I went to Houston, and I know it's a lot better now, but when I first, first went to Houston and our hotel sucked and we were trying to figure out like what we were doing and where we were going. And I'm like, where are we? And we're like, oh, you're still in Houston. I was like, we are? I thought 
we left Houston, but it doesn't really feel like there's been any separation. Like now it just sprawls, man. It just kind of keeps going. And that's, I never got past any point of city. So even though I made it to this other village, there was never a point. Like it's not even necessarily even a highway all the time. Like it kind of is and it kind of isn't. There's no break. There's no break from the city out. And it's not like I've, you know, canvassed the entire city in all these different directions. But in all my travels of the four days here, I never actually like made it past anything that didn't look like just another extension of the city. Why was Coyoacan a little bit different, a little bit slower? Uh, I'll admit, little time out for the Rye Guy. One of the cutest things I think I've ever seen a bunch of Mexican elementary aged uh, children leaving their elementary school, going to the recess part of it, all decked out in all their Halloween gear. But yeah, it was a very, very cute moment. Street tacos all over the place, ate like two different meals. It's a big foodie spot because I had a lot of people going, oh my God, I love Mexico City, like freaking out about it. I was like, oh wow, you really like it. Uh, I think the foodie part of it, and I guess it just never really gets all that old, just stopping in a place being like, and I have three street tacos and it costs like six bucks. That part's another huge plus. It's just not that expensive here. The taxis are like, wait, how much is it? You know, the shuttle from the airport to here was $12. Um, you know, I had, I had dinner the other night where I just kept ordering as many tacos as I can, a couple of Topo Chico's. And I think the t- entire thing was 18 bucks. So from that standpoint, like it's a total win. The hotels were crazy, crazy expensive because of F1. So, you know, I don't know what it's like when it's not F1 and Halloween in Mexico City all wrapped into one. So that we did the Houston comp there, street tacos for life, cute alert. Uh, the Halloween prep is very serious here. They take it very seriously. Orange flowers everywhere, all sorts of stuff, just everywhere. Everybody's decked out in it and everybody's got face paint on. I've never seen anyone take it as serious as, as Mexico city. A little something about me. I don't really like face paint on women. I felt this way a long time. Halloween parties in college. I'd be like, Ugh, what, what is going on? I don't know why I feel that way, but I'm just admitting it to you. Cause it all came full circle again this weekend. I'm like, what? Like you couldn't just get a sword and a, and a roughly shirt or something. So anyway, um, so go to bed Friday, pretty uneventful Saturday, get up. And then the college football part of this, I'm like, all right, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to figure this all out because when I started the day, they, they weren't on and I had to get the F1 passes and I didn't really know what the atmosphere was going to be for me, what I was going to be allowed to do. So I decided to go over to the track, grab the passes and it was incredible. Thank you so much to F1 for what they did because they gave me the paddock club stuff so I could kind of walk in through the back and then you're in between where like where you see pit lane, where the garage is, and then there's a door out of the back of the garage. And then if you have these passes, you can walk between the back of the garage, certainly not on the track side, but you could do that on Sunday. Uh, And then they'd have their own like little trailer camp. We shouldn't even call it a trailer. It was almost like their own apartment that was set up by team. And it was funny, too, because you could see, like, by team, like, oh, the Ferrari lounge looks pretty cool, like Red Bull, Mercedes. And then just as you would imagine, depending on the team and how successful they've been, would almost be like a direct correlation to how cool the people looked. Like, I'll admit, there was, like, one Williams guy walking by in a dress shirt where I went, yeah, that shirt doesn't really fit that guy. And that's kind of what I thought. No offense uh, to Williams or anything else going on. It also made me think about 
how much better international things just appear to be. Like, I'm trying to explain what F1 is to, you know, and I'm a newbie like so many other people are to this, so I'm not going to pretend. But now that I've been to it and see what a spectacle it is, and I'll get to race day two here very shortly, but it's it's like the Super Bowl. If the Super Bowl went somewhere that was awesome in the world every week. I know that doesn't make a ton of sense because the Super Bowl, the outcome wouldn't be as important if you played it every single week, but that's that's kind of what it's like. Like Kevin Clark, who's liked it a lot, lot longer than I have, had this amazing line when he was talking about F1 where he basically said, like, the people are beautiful and the people, like, where they race are from the most beautiful places on earth. Imagine if, like, Rusty Wallace wasn't born in Arnold, Missouri, packing dips and instead was from Stad or was from, like, Mallorca and knew how to grill octopus. That's That's kind of what it is. So it's racing, but it's the most elegant version ever. And there's something else, again, when it's not just European, and I know we can kind of get into the ugly American stereotype of it all, but it's just not uptight. Like, I've been to a lot of stuff. And when you're here in the States and it's something that's kind of going on, like, I've been to NBA Finals where I was on the court doing pre and post for the fucking network that was broadcasting it, okay? A bunch of years at ESPN and... You know, guys harassing you to get out of there and you're like, no, I have a pass. My pass allows me to be here. It's the pregame. It's like, well, yeah, we don't care. Like, get out. And you're like, all right. And then you go to something like F1 and you kind of can't believe you're allowed to go where you are, but you are. Like, as I was standing by the Red Bull thing, talking to somebody like Verstappen, he had a sprint by because he knew if he wasted time because you could actually just kind of go up to them if you have these paddock passes and say like, hey, how's it going? Like somebody stopped um, Christian Horner and got a picture with him. So. There's just something less uptight when it's international, when it's European, and there's more of a freedom to it. And guess what? The event still seems to work out somehow. Uh, just an observation. Not sure if it's totally true. It just feels different. It's just another level. Okay. Saturday after going to the qualifying stuff, I make it over to Chapultepec, the castle that's right here in the city. Shout out to Denver as well. Uh, they have like their Central Park comp over here. There's Museum of History. It was a little tough for me. Don't speak Spanish. Could make my way through maybe a couple paragraphs, piece it together, which means I'm definitely lying to myself that I think I know what it said. I don't. Um, hung out at the castle for about an hour. Cool. Took pictures. Sent them to family members. They seemed excited about it. Hey, it's a castle. You got to check it out. A lot of stuff on the timeline there that I'm not going to share with you. Just look it up if you want to, because I'm like, wait, so who was in charge again? And what was going on with these people and Maximilian? What? Who was in charge again? A lot of, lot of turnover. A lot of turnover. It's like Brown's quarterbacks. So as I'm working my way back from the castle, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk back to my hotel. This is super easy. It's only like a mile and a half away. I'll walk. Workouts have been great. And... Also, just a side note, I need to do a research, some more research on these Dons that I was checking out. A lot of Dons, a lot of their pictures in the castle. So I walk back and I'm on the wrong side from my hotel. And I'm thinking, well, okay, you know, this can't be that bad. No, it was that bad. I couldn't get across because they'd shut down the entire Reform Avenue or whatever it's called uh, for this massive parade, Parade of the Dead. I'm trying to figure this out. Like I'm thinking about Dr. No and Junkanoo. And I was like, those guys just started shooting at each other. Nobody really paid attention. Like, I could probably cross the street. So I'm trying to, like, knife through people, and it's not working at all because then they had security fences up, 
And then even if I jumped it and ran across, which I probably could have, then to get over the fence on the other side and then land without trampling old people or kids that were right up against the fence, because it was probably like five to 10 people deep in those spots and nobody, none of them were moving. They were just positioned there to watch the parade the whole time. I was like, I don't really know if I can box my way out. So like, I, could I have? Yes. I didn't want to. So I was like, can I find any spot? I asked a couple people, not a ton of help there. So I stopped and got something to eat. And I'm going to tell you right now, if the place's specialty is queso pizza with rock and roll violin, pass. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Because I was like, maybe I'll try something a little different. Maybe I'll get a little pizza. Uh, as soon as I took a bite, I go, something's up here. And then I look back at the menu. I'm like, why the fuck, instead of tomato sauce, would they go queso? Queso mozzarella and then normal mozzarella and then your pizza toppings. So the texture of it was all off. You didn't have the salty or I should say the acid of a sauce to counterbalance every other taste that we're all pretty accustomed to here with pizza. I know some of you are adventurous and thinking, oh, that's amazing. No, it wasn't. While the guy is banging out electric violin Game of Thrones theme song. I have video. So now I'm stuck on the wrong side of the street. I can't get back to my hotel room. I'm desperately trying to figure out what's going on in the college football games. None of the fucking TVs work. Everything's like we, they weren't even playing soccer in this pizza place, rock and roll violin restaurant. They were playing videos of guys on scooters just killing on vert ramps. Anyway, do not recommend that place. Parade ends, make it across, boom. The only football game that was on, Coastal Carolina Marshall. Sweet. Try to go to the rooftop bar because Coastal Carolina and Marshall are playing. I go to the rooftop bar. I'm quickly thrown out. Why was I thrown out? Uh, I went in. It's pretty nice up there, 38th floor. Um, and a guy came up to me and said, who are you? I said, I'm Ryan. And he goes, are you a guest? And I said, well, yeah, I'm a guest. I'm, I'm staying at the hotel. He's like, you're, who do you know? I was like, I don't know really anybody. I'm here by myself. Maybe there's an F1 contact I have. I don't, what you, what's the shakedown for? He's like, are you a guest? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm a guest. <laughs> I was like, do you need a room key? He's like, no, no, this is a private party. Are you a guest of anyone here? I was like, no. Oh my gosh. What the language barrier. Like this could have been a real international conflict and it was a language barrier. I, yes. I'm a guest of the hotel. I'm not a guest. I didn't know it was a private party. It's a bunch of guys dressed up in Red Bull shirts that are all short. So I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And the guy's like, yeah, no problem. We'll see you tomorrow. I was like, yeah, okay. Very, very civil. Very so. It wasn't like a, a rude throwing. It was just, I didn't understand why they kept asking me if I was a guest when I said it. Yeah. I'm, what are you talking about? I'll show you guys my my itinerary when I when I check out of here. All right. So, rock and roll violin out. Hotel rooftop bar. Didn't work out. Queso pizza out. Sunday gridwalk. Let's do it, folks. Show up to the Grand Prix. Over 400,000 people. 400,000 people in attendance for this. Race day, paddock club pass, and then as you go down the entire pit row of Red Bull, Haas, Mercedes, whatever. We all know the teams by now. Alpine. They have their, and then F1 has its own thing at the end of pit row where we were right next to the Haas. So we could see all the cars coming out formation lap, get under the grid. And then shout out to Brandon Snow, who 
brought me out to the grid. So the grid walk where you see in the guy's interview where they thought Paolo Bencaro was Patrick Mahomes and Brad Pitt ignored everybody and whatever. Marty Brundle's over there interviewing people. He walked me out to that. You're standing right next to the cars. We're minutes from the start of the race and they bring it out. The biggest observation is how pristine everything is. Everything is so clean. The track is spotless. And this is a racetrack, right? It's race cars. You'd expect a little grime. There is none. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing on any of the cars, the tires, the rims, the, the downforce wings. There's Everything is immaculate. Even the fumes smell higher end, if that makes any sense. So grid walk, and guess what else they do? They get you out of there. As soon as it's done, hey, they're so on top of it. They get you out of there. The race starts. You see it from our angle. We waited to see some pit stops to see how that kind of would play out. There's another spot where you can see that's massive turns um, kind of in the back leg of the, of the lap until they bring it back around that straight. Verstappen wins. Checo places up on the podium. Over 400,000 people. Uh, one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen. Last tidbits here. Daylight savings. Started this week here in Mexico City. Had everybody fucked up. I wasn't sure what time it was for an entire day. Made it back to a taco place where my driver said, go there. Those tacos are next to the U.S. Embassy. They're not as spicy for you American people. I took no offense. And by the way, once again, the tacos are amazing. Mexico City, summary. Good. Probably not going to be on the return list for your guy, though. The no water thing's a non-starter. We've been over that with me. I need kind of the water nature element at some point. Uh, the traffic is brutal. But I would say this about the people. Big, big hearts. Uh, every single person that I spent any time talking with here that was local, the, the passion they have from where they're from, the hospitality that they want to show you, um, the interest they show in you, it's really remarkable. There's a warmth to, to these people. There's, um, I don't know, man, there's, a, there's an at peace. It was, it's very different from some of the other places that I've traveled uh, and why I know, you know, look, I've been to other spots in Mexico, but I was just in it, in it here. Um, so, yeah, food, great. People, great. Location, yeah. People, 11 out of 10. Location will go 6 out of 10. Mexico City. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. The life advice email is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. What's up, Kyle? Uh, has Rudy made the announcement yet? I think everybody's kind of aware he's not going to be with us for a little while, right? He did. I, I, Bill made the announcement at the end of his podcast yesterday. So I was like, boy, I hope he did. And then I looked at Instagram and it turns out he did. So I right. can say it now, too. Congratulations to Steve and Maddie Saruti on their beautiful baby girl. Uh, they had it. I don't know. Saruti was hitting us up from 
from the facility, what, Friday night last yeah. week? So we knew Friday. No, no, no. It was earlier than that. It was Thursday uh, night. We woke up on, like, basically, I, I woke up at like two in the morning and just, he was like, hey, just so you guys know, <laughs> wheels are in motion. I don't think I'll see you tomorrow. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. He's going to be off for a little bit. Um, so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have a plan here, but we're, uh, we're in good hands. We're in good hands. All right. You ready? Let's get to it. It's a good one for Kyle. Real good one. Hey guys, six, three, 38, dunked at 35, busted ankle, gold the jam again by 40. Should be able to do it. Most notable personal accomplishment is adding Dame time to basketball reference nicknames after the Nuggets playoff game. Amicably divorced a while ago, kids off the table until she turned 27. Learned lesson that 20s women may change their mind on that topic, so get a vasectomy to ensure any future partner knows I'm serious. Oh. Okay. All right. This guy's very serious about not having kids. Moved to a small mountain town, escalating career, but rent a room in the house. Six figures, but literally can't afford a house condo of my own. Notable only for the question. Yeah, I mean, look, if you want to look at real estate explosion, Kyle knows this. Mountain towns, it's out of fucking control. Pricey. Right. You know what's up. North Conway. You looked at Zillow there. Do you bother anymore? So he's making six figures, but he can't afford a house in these mountain towns that's almost doubled, if not tripled in price in some places. Sure. That actually, that checks out. So he says he usually dates younger women. I always get carded for my Zen purchases. Young face, post-divorce at 32. I'd count three I love you six months plus relationship with 27, 29, 25-year-olds. This guy's got a real specific way he words. down too, yeah. Yeah, the way he words shit. He's throwing a lot of numbers at me. I'm just Yeah. <laughs> so he's basically saying he's had three relationships in the last six years that qualified as I love you that went over six months. But the women were 27, 29, 25. All right. So he went to a Halloween party this week, hit it off with a well-known, in-town, extremely successful, recently single woman. She was clearly interested, but kept saying, you're too young for me. You should date my daughters. I ask, how old do you think I am? 29 is her answer. I ask her her age, thinking late 40s, maybe. She says 60. She's well known, but you didn't know, you had no idea she was, you were 20 years off. <laughs> Six zero, bro. Sixty. That would mess with his average stats. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would skew the average. So he goes six to midnight. What time did he send this? Now it's in the morning. Guys, I can always tell, as Kyle can tell too, like, some of the emails, I'll be like, what the fuck? And they'll be like, what time did this guy send this? He'll be like, oh, 3.55 a.m. <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> this it. checks out. Then sometimes we'll get the follow-up like, hey, could you not read that one? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, man, well, we got you covered here. All right, so he goes uh, 6 to midnight, whatever. Uh, Might have been the cocktails in her Halloween costume, but she's a rocket ship. That's your costume? No, I'm kidding. No, no. But like I said, the way the 6th and midnight to express like how late it is, got the number, texted her a selfie of us as a gentleman does. She responds with the heart button. Nothing else. 18 hours later, I can't stop thinking about her. Sir, Rudy, Kyle, and Ryan, should I continue to pursue my new crush? Any chance this works out long term? 
He then attached a photo. He is a young-looking 38, extremely young. This is a tough picture of her because it's blurry, and he's not, which is really weird. Um, she looks pretty good, but she also looks 60. Kyle, rent's a motherfucker. It is. I say do this, man. I don't know what we're even talking. I mean, I'd say here's what I'd say. I'd say maybe like a nice early bird blue plate special date. Just just see how just give it one more look before you before you are not sure anymore <laughs> what what you want to do. So a non late night hammered <laughs> Halloween <laughs> party assessment is what you're saying? Yeah. Four o'clock. Yeah. Exactly. I think him saying that he only can afford a bedroom to rent <laughs> is him saying that what if I date her and it sort of works out and then I've got like a much better situation. Because my first thought would be, okay, clearly I could tell from the picture. So the well-known thing makes me wonder like, okay, what's the deal? Is she an actress, former actress, or is she, you know, the ex Owns of an somebody else. Shop or something. <laughs> What's going on? I think this is. I think this is another level beyond antique shop. Uh, but it's it. He's already he's shared with us the out loud thought um, that maybe somebody else would you know that wouldn't make it the out loud thought is he's thinking what if we hit it off and I have a much better living situation. So he's, like, when he said I can't stop thinking about her, he meant to say I can't stop thinking about her having a separate bedroom in this house <laughs> that I really wanted. Like, is that what he means? I can't imagine. I can't stop thinking about not sharing a bathroom with four other people. <laughs> That's right. Because why wouldn't he just say, "All right, I want to date one of your daughters"? If the daughters look remotely as good as she does in six, right. at sixty, and again, a blurry picture, which sucks for the listeners because I'm not going to just post it. But you know, I think you trust your guy here. Uh, she looks good. She also looks 60. It's a no for me. She did have a party fedora on, though. So it makes you think. You know? <laughs> I I say, I say, go get a senior coffee with her and just look at her one more a time. What? So you, what? It's like a McDonald's, you know, 65 cent senior coffee. I'm just, it was just a joke, an old person joke. <laughs> no, but no, I just I, but mean, it's a funny joke. <laughs> Thanks. It's such a funny joke that I want to make sure that I, I heard it correctly. Get a senior coffee with her at McDonald's because they're cheaper. Just lay right. eyes yeah. on her one more time and then, you know, because I think maybe maybe it's his problem is uh, maybe the picture's too blurry and he's like, you know, you you, remote, you, you remember these things a little bit nicer than they were um, when we're talking about midnight. So I think maybe, um, I think maybe just see if she'll, she might not even... She might make this real easy on you, and she might not even ever agree to see you again. Be like, this guy's crazy. So uh, you, this might even be a, a, a non-factor anyway. But I'd say just uh, look at her one more time, and then then you'll know. <laughs> then you'll know what you want to do. Great call, Kyle. Absolutely what we need to do. But there's a really good chance, too. Like, she's if she was at a party with you guys, not to get you jealous here, she's already gone through this so many different times in her life younger guy like oh my god oh my god you know whatever so she <laughs> she might just be like oh here's another one like these younger guys just love me my personality and that whatever the rest of her deal is uh that she's doing the heart i think the heart emoji gets thrown around in a way that's not 
real telling. You know, it, it's almost like an <laughs> LOL of emotion. Yeah, pretty ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think Kyle said it best. Just check in one more time, kind of see where you're at, and uh, we'll leave it from there. Okay, Youth Umpire chiming in here. Big fan of the pod. Just finished our first Civil War. Can definitely see why Benedict Arnold turned. Yeah, not a popular thing to say, but makes it, you know, after you read about old Ben, you're like, kind of a bullshit move, man, but can certainly see the groundwork leading to your decision. All right, guys, uh, 26-61-175. Don't do much of the big three lifts, but remain highly active through fitness and what is this? The H-I-I-T in pickup sports. Is it called HIT? I think it is. I don't know. More stubborn fat than skinny fat. I'm an umpire in a large city in Texas and have been for the last year or so. I play college baseball, currently play recreational, love standing around or staying around the game. Standing is also accurate, but uh, <laughs> I'm new. I'm not new. I'm not new <laughs> to umpiring. I spent many summers in my teens in college when I could umpiring baseball and basketball, sneakily the hardest sport to officiate. Basketball, I agree. I know sports in the South are generally more intense, but I found the parents to be mostly agreeable. Well, I didn't think that's where this was going, or at least not unreasonably different than parents in the sleepy Midwestern town I previously worked. The problem isn't with the parents or even the kids, though the risk of being the guy yelling at clouds. People really shouldn't pimp anything of anything other that isn't a no-doubter. Oh, he's talking about kids pimping yeah I, I i don't think that i think some of these guys you know i can single to write bat flip i don't need that the problem is with the umpiring association and specifically my commissioner let's call him rad i have the unfortunate look of being both relatively young and experienced making me a perfect person to mentor younger dudes mostly 16 to 20 year olds just trying to make enough money to buy disposable vapes or some shit these kids blow I'm fine with them being bad. Missing calls is part of the game, and this job is hard. I was new once, too. The thing I'm frustrated with is the indifferent, distracted attitude of nearly every younger ump I partner with. They routinely miss calls by simply not paying attention. Most recently, I peeled the first base for a check swing, and the umpire panicked, dropped the phone he was texting on, and said he didn't have the angle. Wait, a guy was texting on his phone while he was umping during the game? I am the common denominator amidst a slew of incompetent young umps, and I feel as if parents, coaches, and even the players seem skeptical or even resentful towards me before the first pitch is even thrown. It's a great, it's a great way to make a little side hustle and most importantly, get away from my wife for a few hours. Okay, But I can't continue to be partnered with the most inexperienced umpires. I feel as if I've become inextricably linked with them in a way that my presence in the game is a sign that the game will be officiated poorly. Despite my multiple attempts at telling Brad this arrangement is making my job really uncomfortable, he continues to set me up in the same situation. Unfortunately, this is the only umpiring association in town, so I don't have any other local options. I mean, I can try to referee basketball or football, but there aren't as many games, and I'm not as familiar with them from an official's uh, perspective. I really don't want to drive around drunk chicks or deliver food and groceries. <laughs> okay. I like this guy a lot. You do? I just like what he I liked what he said right there. I don't want to drive around junk chicks and do delivered groceries. He doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Rather, he doesn't want to do, do Uber or Postmates. No, he likes baseball. He, he wants to do it. I think the problem is, is that you are in something. This is like a guy who's playing in a pickup basketball game that is really good at pickup basketball. Okay. And everybody around him doesn't give a shit. All right. 
And anybody, I don't care who you are, like eventually you have to kind of understand your surroundings. You have to go like, I'm not going to get on this guy's case for not boxing out. He didn't fucking know what I'm talking about. Or, hey, get back. If you're the other guard and I drive, stay back. Like it doesn't. So now all of a sudden you just have to kind of change your expectations. The problem for this is, is that I could say, hey, do that. But it's still somewhat of a performance thing where you're umping. And when you screw it up, it's out there for everybody. I can't believe there'd be an ump texting on the phone during the game. Is this level so low that it doesn't matter? So this is never going to be solved. Like it's not going to be because your level of state, your standard is so far beyond the rest of the guys you're around. I think if you're that good at it, you'd have to go to Brad and say, hey, I'm done. I'm done if you keep putting me with the worst guys. I take it seriously. It doesn't work. And I'm done. Like it's going to have to be a threat to get your way. Because if you've asked him nicely and you haven't gotten your way, and this is going to keep driving you crazy, or you could have that Zen moment of absolute fuck itness where you go, hey, I'm going to do a good job. And when we blow a call, I'll go to the coach and be like, yeah, I'm this doing my best. <laughs> yeah. And that maybe pull him aside and be like, yeah, he sucks. And you go to a mom and say, yeah, the guy sucks. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you're you're going to have to maybe just get to some level of, ex- of acceptance because right now, currently on this path of what's going on, you're going to drive yourself fucking crazy because you're not going to be able to fix any of these other guys. It's apparent. They don't care. They don't care the way you care. And you probably have to have a little less care in you. And I know that's, I don't normally not say that very often about many things, but it's youth baseball. It's not the end of the world. And the guys are guys. I mean, I was trying to think of something else where you could, you have something with the other umps who were like, Hey, let's all throw in like five bucks a guy and whoever has like a clean day or whatever (laughs) keeps the pot, you know, or something like that, which again, gambling with umps is a great, great precedent to set or, you know, is there something where each guy throws in a 20 and you're like, whoever has the worst fucking call, you know, we split up his 20 or something and everybody gets their 20 back. I, I mean, I was just trying to think of anything, but I think the ultimate thing is you need to go into this with an acceptance of the standard of those around you being a lot lower because that's the only way you're going to keep saying, or you just straight up go, I'm quitting if you keep putting me with the worst guys. And if you're this good at it, they're probably not going to want to lose you. Um, but then again, don't email us back if they call your bluff and they're like, all right, see you, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, the threat's probably the right way to go. I was like, you know, it sounds like he wasn't jazzed about being a mentor to shitheads. So, I mean, you know, sometimes shitheads need a mentor. Like, I, I don't know if he's tried just being like, hey, you're really terrible at your job and this isn't going to like, I've, it seems like maybe he's been reluctant to do that. Like, Cause he's not an old guy, but I used to, when I was grounds crew, I worked with old guys and like the first week, one of the like old guys was like, Hey, you're fucking this up real bad, dude. I had like ran over a fence, like my first day in the truck. And I wasn't like doing so hot with the, with the weed whacking on the side. And I it wasn't cleaning up uh, the grass or whatever. And just like in a week, he was just like, you know, Hey, you're doing a real bad job at this. And I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, made it my priority to get better at it. And I did, but you know, those were guys who, you know, every summer would get you know, high, fresh out of high school kids, like college kids. And like, you know, sometimes you just gotta think maybe, especially with dudes, sometimes they just, they need to hear like, you're really fucking this up, man. Like this is, you know, I guess you can't really fire him, but you'd be like, this is unacceptable, man. Are you like, are you proud of this? I wonder if he's tried that or he's just been more like shaking his head at, <laughs> at them quietly. Cause sometimes all you need to hear is you're really bad at this dude. Like, is, is it too hard or what? So, you know, maybe that'll help. Well, um, (laughs) 
the the holding somebody else to the standard of like, hey, do you do you want to be this bad to the other guy? You know, I don't know. I don't. I mean, like it's always great in theory when you think, can I just say something to this guy and and will it break through? I feel like I know this group. These are these are kids trying to make a couple extra bucks. They don't want to do too much. This isn't like a real nine to five. You know, like this would be the type of thing for a lot of people where it'd be the second job that they're doing. Right. right? That's true. But if it's if it's the first job for some of these younger guys that don't do anything else, that kind of tells you what your labor force is all about. So I would I would try to call I would I don't know. I would I would go to the director and be like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like put me with better umps or I'm done. And if you're as good as you say you are, which I'm going to go ahead and give you the benefit of the doubt, because it seems like you take it so seriously, I'd imagine they're going to make it work because they're not going to want to lose you. Yeah, what's another one of these guys to throw in there in your place? Okay, female checking in here. Uh, she said she wanted to cross the gender divide. Uh, she said she's sending other emails, but hey, they don't make the cut. They don't, you know, it's pretty, Kyle's pretty strict about it. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, She's married to a total stud and smoke show and a total sweetheart. Wow. This guy sounds awesome. He's the entire package. While he's super sweet, he also has a serious competitive side. He was a D1 athlete lacrosse. and still regularly be, uh, benches an insane amount. It's not uncommon for strange women to walk up to him in bars and touch his arms. Drives me nuts. But I digress. Years ago when we were first dating, I mentioned that although he's obviously world stronger than I am, I had decent confidence I could beat him in a sprint. I've done a few half marathons and under 145 and ran track in my very small non-athletic high school, and I still run regularly and uh, significantly less muscle to carry. My husband could never be called dismissive or a condescending guy, but his immediate reaction when I brought this idea up was disbelief. Quote, never, not ever. <laughs> was essentially his assessment. Um, fast forward to a few years, marriage, maybe later, this loving disagreement still surfaces from time to time. So the multi-part life advice question for you and you guys is, one, do I formally challenge him to a sprint or will it just result in hurt feelings and bruised confidence on both sides? Two, if we go ahead with the friendly competition, quotes, what parameters, distance, witnesses, bragging rights do you recommend? Uh, three, who would you bet on? Appreciate you guys ready to run. All right. Well, when you say sprints and you start throwing around half marathons, like we're talking about entirely different planets here, we're the galaxies. All right. So, like, was he fast? All right. So he's strong and he has big arms, but is he fast? What age are we talking here? Like, if you don't sprint for long, because, you know, a lot of guys after a certain age don't ever run fast ever again <laughs> rest of their life like you have no idea but the last time like you ever ran fast you know it happens sooner than you would ever think like you just like unless you're playing pickup hoops unless you're playing like flag football really late maybe you're still in a softball league and you're you know a faster guy and you you just kept it but if you don't do any of the hey i'm gonna run fast on a treadmill or any of that kind of stuff and you don't do it for a long time your body gets real cool with never having to do it again and so if he were fast but then is jacked and doesn't ever run sprints anymore and it's been years then i don't know how fast he's going to be but at the core like was he a fast lacrosse player is he one of those guys who just clean people out all the time all right you get a bartending gig out of the back bar out of it so there's that 
The second part is who's going to be more hurt by this loss? So when you say sprints, like, yeah, I don't know what kind of running he's doing. But when you say sprint, it makes me think, like, when I think fast, fast, I'm not thinking of anything longer than probably an 800, you know? Although the 800 is maybe the worst event ever. Uh, as far as, like, testing somebody's actual speed, but then also slash endurance. So I don't know if you're just going to smoke them in a mile. I don't know if you're trying to make it a 400. And I don't know if it's a 100-yard dash or any of those things. Like, my... My guess would be if he were still a really good athlete who works out all the time, he's probably going to beat you in a 100-yard dash when you're throwing these half-marathon times at us. If you're saying, no, actually, it's not about that. I'm going to make it a longer distance. Then I don't know. Maybe you'll beat him. But what I'd ask you is if everything's working out, like, is he going to be a weirdo if you beat him on the sprint? Will that be enough? Or are you going to be weird if he beats you because he was so dismissive? There's somebody in the relationship that's going to bother more. And if everything's going along great, is this actually worth it? Uh, but I would need to know the distance. I don't know anything about either one of you, so I have no idea who to bet on. You seem pretty convinced. He seems pretty dismissive. We haven't heard from him. Uh, you know, science would tell me I'd probably lean towards the guy that's that's played these sports if it's a shorter distance. But if it's a longer distance, I would probably pick you. But do people do this kind of stuff anymore? Kyle, do you sprint? Do you have any arguments with your wife about feats of strength or your fiance, your your future wife? Uh, not not a big one, but I can't guarantee you this if we're all hanging. Because I was, I got, I'll say this and then I'll say the parameters in which I would do this. If we were outside um, at a, like a party summertime or something and she's like, I'll race you to that tree right now. I'd be like, let's fucking go. And we'll see what happens. Like, I don't give them enough. I, this is how I would do it. I'd wait till you're outside. You know, another place where it's great, fun to race, hotel hallway. No one's around, obviously. It get a little dangerous, but like a ho long hotel hallway is pretty good. I, you know, I'm I'm worried about like busting my ankle for stuff like this. So outside is actually a little scary for me, but you know, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I think I think like doing it outside, like friendly sort of situation would be would be better. Other than like, all right, let's go out. We'll go out to the straight road in our neighborhood, and and like from here to there. Just like when you're outside, you should be like, hey, I'll race to that tree. Like that's fun. A good old race to the tree. I've said that before. Is deck it, to the tree gets old. Yeah, yeah. No, that is fun. But I feel like doing it this week. Now, they, now you start bringing it up. The witness part too. Like she's taking this so seriously that the witness part could actually make it worse. I know. Right? I know. Well, like if you want to think of it that way, I just think it's much easier to just be like, all right, let's go. Especially if there's people around. Um, even if you like don't want to race, you kind of will do it if there's people around and somebody's like, hey, come on, a race to the tree especially because it's been like like this a long running joke like i just think that would be the that'd be the best way i'd want to do it i don't know if it's actually the best way and i'm sure we could pick it apart pop poke a bunch of holes in it but i just think that would be the quickest way to get him to be like into it and then um you know the results are the results and then you'll just both have to live with them but you know it's a strong marriage it sounds like so i think I think welcome this challenge yeah come up with a distance that favors you don't bring witnesses <laughs> you're going to know who wins you're both going to have to accept it um, I don't know if he's the type of guy that would make excuses, but yeah, I would, I would pick a distance where you have a real chance at this, unless you're just really fast. You know, I don't know if you're really fast and make it a hundred yards. Maybe he's not, maybe he hasn't done anything. Maybe he just lifts, doesn't do any cardio, doesn't stretch or anything. He's going to blow out his fucking hamstring 20 yards into this whole deal. But yeah, I would, um, it sounds like you're both pretty competitive and maybe it's ready to put it to rest, but not to make excuses for him. 
if you beat him and he's going to be somebody that's like really weird about it after, I would ask you like before you go, is this all actually worth it? So there you go. I say pick a tree. You say pick a tree. All right. There you go. Uh, Thanks to Kyle. That's Life Advice, the Ryan Russell Podcast. Please subscribe. Ringer, Spotify. We'll be back on Wednesday. Wednesday.